0: All right, congratulations, graduates, and uh, thanks to our our students for leading our worship. First Sunday is is the day that they um, lead us, and and I'm excited about that. And they are also involved in other ministry opportunities around our church. I see them out serving in Sunday school classes and so forth. And, and that's great for our young people to be taking ownership and, and not just coming, but being a part and serving. And, and that excites me. Um, today, we're in Revelation chapter 15. So as we come in, or 16, excuse me, we did 15 last week. So we're in Revelation chapter 16. And, and this chapter clearly shows the sovereignty of God over all of the earth and over all of the spiritual realm, over all things, over the universe, everything that's known and unknown. God is over all things, everything, everywhere, um, things that we see, things that we don't see. And <clears throat> so... As we come into that it 's meant to bring us great comfort and, and this book is meant to bring us great comfort and great understanding of God and the the power of God over all things and and who He is and where He is and how He is working. In our world, especially when we look around, sometimes and, and we wonder, "Where's God? How could things go on like like we see in the news? Um, how can how can we see such evil things happen to human beings created in the image?" Of God Um, today, one of one of the men in our church who attends our church, Gennady, um, he's from Ukraine. His family is there, and and um, if if um, you speak with him, you you will you will feel his pain. You will feel it as 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 you come there, and and um, I just say that to ask. That you pray for Gennady and his family and people in Ukraine. And and Anishaya is from Moldova and, and she and Adrian are part of our church as well. And their families are very affected by this. And sometimes, you know, we sit and we watch the news and we see, but but we live in a global village. We really do. And what happens in one place is 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 here. in in real time. And and we see that. And as we come into this book of Revelation and we see this, as as John came in and saw this stuff, as he's sitting on this island as a prisoner in Patmos, and, and he is there because of his faith in Jesus Christ, because of his obedience to Jesus Christ, Jesus appears to him and he pulls back the curtain to show him. He says, you know what? This is what you see, John. This is what you see happening in the world. This is what you see happening to your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the persecution that you see happening in age and minor of, of Christian people. And this is how they're being, um, some of them being killed for their faith and, and punished for their faith and economically crushed for their faith and everything going on. He says, I'm just going to pull back the curtain and I'm going to show you the world as I see it. And I'm going to show you who I am. And I'm going to show you the lamb on the throne. And I'm going to show you what it all ends up like. And, and so he gives this great Picture of comfort, and so as we come into that, we're coming in to the bowls of wrath. So the first four bowls that we're going to look at today are directed at those who follow the beast, the ones who have received the mark of the beast. Um, these are people who have chosen to reject God. They have chosen to give. They've re, re, they have chosen to reject giving glory to God. They've chosen to live life on their terms. So these are, <clears throat> this is the group of people. Um, so the first three bulls or first four bulls are directed towards these folks. And the last three are directed to the spiritual realm, to Satan and, and all of the, the evil forces of this universe that, that are unseen, but we know are real. Um, so it's, it's complete judgment of evil. What we're seeing here is the total judgment of evil. And, and so John is being given a glimpse of this as he sits back and he wonders, you know, God, how did I end up here? How did this happen to me? I've been faithful. I walked with Jesus for three years. I've never done anything wrong to anyone other than tell them about the message of life, the gospel, the truth of God's word. And now he's saying, I'm being punished for this. I am suffering for this. And, and, and you know, he, maybe he's not having that conversation with God, but you gotta know that as he's on this island in Patmos that those thoughts are going through His mind. How did this land this way? And, And Jesus is pulling back the curtain to see him. So, as John sees this scene, he sees the hand of God in history and the hope of God through the Lamb. The hand of God in history, the hope of God in the Lamb on the throne. So, the judgments are all fitting for the offenses. Every offense that we see, the judgment that's going to come out in these bowls, they fit the crime. The punishment fits the crime. And, and so we come in there, and through the grace of God today, through the grace of God, we get what we do not deserve. Through God's grace, we get what we do not deserve. Redemption and restoration, we get forgiveness. We, we receive eternal life through Jesus. Um, and we get what we don't deserve, which is forgiveness. Forgiveness. But when we refuse grace through Jesus, we also get what we deserve. Our choice, and that's judgment. So these choices come up, and this is what, when we see the wrath of God, a lot of times we come in and, and people say, well, I just can't believe that a loving God would judge people. Well, He's, he's not. In, in one respect, in one respect, He's just saying, look, I have given you a choice. I've placed before you life and death. Choose life. He is saying, you can give glory to God, or you can do this on your own. It's your choice. It's your pick. So where it really comes down to is for me, I can absorb the wrath of God personally, or I can choose to allow Jesus to absorb it for me. That's what he did on the cross. So coming in, when we talk about the wrath of God, this is, this is what we're talking about, that God will punish sin. He will punish evil. He will punish people who do evil. Um, and, and that is a promise in his word. So these bowls are poured out on all earth dwellers. They're poured out on everyone, those marked by the beast, those who've received his mark. So this is complete judgment. It's total judgment. Unlike the seals and the trumpets, which are, are concurrent here. But, but as you come in, um, this judgment is total. It is complete. This is the wrath of God. So when we talk about the wrath of God, let's um, define that. Leon Moore's theologian. He describes it this way. He said, the wrath of God, it's God's strong and settled Opposition to all that is evil, and it arises out of God's very nature. It's a burning zeal for the right coupled with a perfect hatred for everything that is evil. Now, look, I don't know about you, but I I think hating evil is a good thing. I think it's important, and, and that's the kind of God that I want to serve, a God that who does Hate evil and promises to punish evil so that 's a good definition of the wrath of God. It go, um, you could go on to say that the wrath of God is pure it 's sinless it 's holy it 's without um, the anger, sinful anger that we might expose and, and just blow up over something it 's not that way. it is very, very direct so let 's look at that in in this so he says in john um, in revelation sixteen John writes Then I heard a voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So, first of all, the judgment of God is just. The judgment of God is just. When when he's pouring this out, the first four bowls are poured out on the natural realm. They're poured out on the things that we see. So let's look at bowl one. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshiped his image. So those who have chosen to follow the beast, they're judged. And, and what happens is, is he he pours out um, this this affliction on them and, and what what it is these sores it's like an abscess or a boil um, it, it's so it's an abscess or an ulcerous sore. That, that would require medical attention. For instance, if, um, if you get an abscess, say, on your arm, and then all of a sudden that's not treated, it, it starts shooting streaks up your arm, and eventually it poisons you, and it causes you to have a fever. You might become delirious and, and die from this, or, or it could cause serious damage. So imagine this. It's afflicting everyone who's received the mark of the beast, everyone who's chosen to reject the grace of God, and to choose to follow the beast. So it's, it's happened. So what, seven billion people on earth? Let's just say that's half. Three billion people all of a sudden need medicine. They all need the same medicine. They all need the same treatment. This is a medical disaster. This is huge. This is bigger than anything we've been through in the last two years. This is catastrophic. It affects everyone. There's going to be an immediate shortage of medical supplies and medical help. So people are going to be suffering immensely. It's a deserved judgment because they serve God's supreme opponent. So this is a a judgment that's deserved because they have chosen to follow the beast, the opponent of God. So God is saying, okay, if you choose evil, I will give you what you choose. I will let you have what you choose. And it parallels the boils of the plagues on Egypt. If you go back to um, when Moses is before Pharaoh, the 10 plagues, this one kind of parallels the boils. So the next bowl, bowl two, he says, the second angel poured his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. So bowl number two is the sea. The sea will no longer provide. The sea will no longer provide fish. The sea will no longer provide food. The sea will no longer be fit for travel, for commerce. The sea will be totally shut down. Um, this is this is a huge thing. It, this would be catastrophic. The Roman Empire depended on commerce that passed over the seas. So this whole country all of a sudden is economically going to be Devastated, and it's also going to be devastated um, in, in the sense that there's going to be a famine. So there's going to be famine and there's going to be economic destruction happening there. So this is a uh, uh, parallel to the Nile River being turned to blood. If you go back when, jo- when uh, Moses um, was leading the people out and God brought the plagues on Egypt, one of the plagues was on the Nile River. The Nile River was the lifeblood of Egypt. It's the place where all the food came. It's the place that flooded the fields, that brought nutrients for crops to grow. And, and so here's, here's what's happening here coming into in the second bowl. The third bowl, the, second, the third angel in verse 4 says, poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O holy one, he who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord, God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. So as we come in, the third angel, it gets a little bit longer here, and he explains it, but the fresh waters will no longer provide. Not only will the salt water be be polluted now, the fresh water is polluted as well, so this also will lead to economic collapse and famine um, there won 't be water to drink there will not be water to water the crops. I mean everything is going to go um, drastically downhill, and this parallels the Nile as well. so the angel in charge of the of the uh, the waters the the pouring out the bowl of wrath on the waters of the land um, explains to us why this is fair. And, and, and so we come in and, and, you know, you get to about the third bowl and you go, man, this is, this is, uh, this is dark. This is bad. And, and so the angel stops and we get a moment where he stops and he says, just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. And in other words, God will judge sin. So as we come in and, and we look, and, and when you look around and, and you see things happening in the world and you go, you know what, how can that happen? We, we have to be reminded. We need to come in and understand that God is holy. God is just, and he will judge sin. It's in his timing, not in ours. And we have to understand the, the, the patience of God, which, you know, I don't have. I doubt any of us have that kind of patience. But the patience of God, wanting all to come to repentance in Christ, wanting all to come to Him, wanting all to give glory to Him, that He is waiting and giving man, sinful man, an opportunity, giving me an opportunity, you an opportunity. He's given it to us. He's giving it to others as well. But He will judge sin, for you brought these judgments. So He is just, and He initiates this judgment and they're directed at those who have oppressed the saints and shed their blood. It says, for they have shed the blood, the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They oppress the people of God. And in turn, he says, I will give to you what you gave to them. You've earned it. You've given them what they deserve. It is what they deserve. You know, that literally says, for they are worthy. Just like he says of his people, they are worthy. That the lamb is worthy. He says, we, those those who choose to reject Jesus are worthy of wrath. They're worthy of it. They've earned it. They are getting what they ask for, and, and then he says. He goes on, and he says, and then I heard the altar saying, "Yes, Lord God the Almighty." You think the altar? The altar talks? No, it's not the altar itself. Not literally. It's the people underneath the altar. It's the 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 those who have been martyred for their faith. Remember when we went back in the the uh, the seals in chapter six. Verse 10, it says, they cried out, those who were under the altar cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will you judge and how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? The altar was where the blood of the sacrifice would go down. And it's saying that the blood of those that's been poured out for the cause of Christ, for the cause of righteousness, who have done the right and just thing, that, that, um, that they will be judged. And so, This angel is saying, and the altar is crying out. The altar is crying out. Those who have been brutally treated by evil men will be judged. Those those who have done this will be judged. So he's telling us that these are true and just judgments. In other words, they're right, they're righteous and holy, and they're fair. So this is what the third angel tells us as he comes in and backs out and shows it. The punishment fits the crime. God will punish sin. He will either absorb his wrath or we will either absorb his wrath or we'll cry out to Jesus to absorb it for us. So I can absorb the wrath of God or I can cry out to Jesus and have him absorb it for me. That's what he did on the cross. That's what the cross is about. So there was a time in my life where I cried out to Christ and I cried out for him to absorb the wrath of God. Now, at my age, I didn't understand all that and everything that that meant, but I understood that I was a sinner separated from God and that I needed the forgiveness of Christ and I needed to be made right and be made whole in him. And this is what we see in this book. It says that, that they are given opportunities to give God glory, to give God glory, to give God glory. What that means is to say that I know that I'm created in your image and I know that I'm broken and I know that I need you and I know that I can only be healed through you and I'm looking to the lamb to do for me what I can't do for myself. Will you absorb the wrath that I deserve, that I've earned? So bowl number four, he goes in and he says, the fourth angel pulled out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. This is an interesting one. They're burned by the sun, but they refused to repent and give God glory. Now you talk about patience right there. That's patience. That's severe patience on the point of God saying, I'm giving you a chance to Give me glory. I'm giving you a chance to turn to me. I'm giving you a chance to be redeemed and restored. I'm giving you a chance to wipe the slate clean. I'm giving you this opportunity. This choice is yours, and my wrath being poured out is my justice, and it's my holiness being revealed for the world to see. So it's there, and it's coming in, and, and instead, here's what they do. They blame God for the problems. They blame God for the problems. Now, we would never do that, right? We would never blame God for the predicament we're in, would we? Of course we do. We do it all the time. We do something foolish, and then we wonder, God, why would you let this happen to me? It's a vivid reminder that blaming God for our problems doesn't work out well. You know, it's, it's like when we tell our kids... No. And they say, well, you're no fun. You're no fun. You're not like my friend's parents. My friend's parents have no rules, which may or may not be true. But, but you know, you, you get, you get, and you hear, and you come in, and, and there is a, a blaming of the messenger rather than a look inside. And you may want look, you may have small children, you know, they're really little, but I, I, I want to encourage you and go ahead and just pull back the veil real quick. They're sinners. They're sinners separated from, the, from, from God and they need to re- experience the grace and mercy of God and be redeemed and made right. And that's your job to teach them that, to train them that, and to raise them up in the word of God and to listen to their blaspheming voice all the way up until they mature and grow up. As they tell you it's your fault, that you're no fun, that you're this, that you're that, and coming on. And you know what? That's all minor stuff. But when it goes on and on and on and on and on, and it moves on into adults who do that to God, that's a whole different game, isn't it? Now we're we're going from talking about an adolescent who's developing and being loved and nurtured and trained into how to be a productive human being who glorifies God. Now we're moving into an adult who's a fool. And they're blaming God for their problems. They're blaming God for their problems. And this is what they did. They blamed God for their predicament rather than giving glory to God. They blamed God. They blasphemed the name of God. They did not repent and give him glory. So the first thing is that God is just. His judgment is just. And, and the second thing is his judgment will be complete. There will be a final judgment on all things seen and unseen. And, and just, just uh, you know, word of comfort. I only have two pages. I have One just did. One's done. So um, just hang on a minute longer and we'll be there. Now let's get to the next three bowls. The next three bowls, there'll be a final judgment on all things seen and unseen. We just had the judgments on the seen. Now we're talking about the unseen. Now the judgments, these three bowls are going to be on Satan. They're going to be on the beast. They're going to be on the things that the powers and the principalities, they're the things that we don't see. They're the things that are pulling a lot of the strings they're, they're the ones that are putting the evil thoughts in our mind. They're the ones that are placing things before us to tempt us. They're the ones that, that, that breed up wickedness. These last three bowls are poured out on the throne of the beast and lead to the gathering of the nations for the battle of Armageddon. And I know that some of you are going, yes, we're finally getting to there. Now we're finally getting somewhere in all this. Well, this is where it's going. So as you come in on the fifth bowl, the seventh angel poured out Oh no! I'm not not the seventh angel. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of Heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. Look, this is worse than being on the North Slope in December. They got light bulbs there. This is real darkness. This is darkness that you can feel this is darkness is so dark that you see nothing nothing you don't see a flash of color you don't see anything nothing and it's poured directly on the throne of the beast and it completely darkens its kingdom this parallels the sun being darkened in egypt and it's a and, and when god Darken the sun in Egypt and that plague, it was a, a judgment against the God of the Egyptians, Ra, saying that God Yahweh is bigger than the God Ra. All the, all the, all the plagues, all ten plagues are about the gods of the Egyptians. And God utterly destroys the gods of man and shows that and says that he alone is God. He alone is worthy of worship. So <clears throat> we come in here. And we see that. So the Hebrew people, how did the Hebrew people view that? That's the question when we come in and we look at this plague, this third plague. When they came back and later on and they looked at this event and they looked at this history, this biblical history that they had, the Hebrews viewed this not only as physical darkness, they also viewed this as spiritual separation from the true God and pictured the eternal hell that was awaiting the Egyptians. They said there was spiritual darkness for them and there was eternal hell waiting them for what they did to these people. Because they had enslaved and brutalized these people and refused to repent and give God glory, refused to turn to God, that they would be in eternal hell. Now... We look and go, you know what? Judging someone who treated other people that way, it's fair, right? But I wouldn't want it to happen to anyone. This would lead to an unimaginable horror or fear as you come in there. So it said that they gnawed their tongues. It says they gnawed their tongues in anguish and they cursed God for the pain of their sores. And and so as they came into this, you know, have have you ever been in in so much stress that maybe you chewed on your tongue or your mouth? And you hear about people doing that. That's what this is. They were in such stress and such anguish that they're chewing on their mouths, they're chewing on their bodies, and and they are doing this in <clears throat> in anguish and cursing God for their sores. So. Anger, Anguish and horror, they're natural reactions to the realization that you're in spiritual darkness and separated from God. When you come in and you look at this, and and if it's making you squirm right now, there's a reason for it. The reason is, is because God says, I'm real. And I offer you today either life or death. and, And the ball is squarely in your court. Choose. But whatever you choose, I will honor that. I will honor that. this is where refusing to give glory to God through Jesus lands a person. Exodus 10:21 it says then the lord said to moses stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of egypt a darkness to be felt. So that is the fifth bowl. The sixth bowl is is a little bit different as as we come in here but Says the sixth angel poured out its bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits, performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of the of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on that he may not go about shank, naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. So as we come in here in, in, in the sixth bowl, in the sixth bowl, what happens is, is the path is cleared for a one world order. The path is cleared for all the kings of the earth, for all the rulers, all of those who, who follow the beast. The path is being cleared for them to come together and gather in one place. That's what the drying up of the Euphrates would symbol to them. The the Euphrates River was the eastern boundary of Israel, as well as the boundary of the Roman Empire. On the other side of the Euphrates River was the Parthians. And if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the Parthians. The Parthians were the only people the Romans feared. Romans didn't fear anybody else the Parthians are the only people to ever defeat them in battle. The Parthians were the only people who could ride horses at full stride and shoot bows and hit their target. Look, that's fierce. It's cool too. I mean, I wish I could ride a horse and shoot a bow like that. I I, would fill my tags every year if I had a horse, which I don't. But this is this is what's going on, so the Euphrates River is the largest river in that part of the world. it's like our yukon I mean it's huge it's a huge river, and it formed a natural barrier for armies, and it kept them from coming across they didn't have well you know they didn't have the infrastructure and things like we had today, so these natural boundaries would protect nations from one another and and what 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 the angel is doing and showing John is that the armies of the world could now coalesce for battle. All of the armies of all of those who follow the beast, they could coalesce for battle. In Revelation 19 19, John writes, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. So, the picture there in Revelation 19, which we'll get there in about three weeks, but as, as the picture is that you 've got the armies of the lamb, and you 've got the armies of the beast, and they have come together for this battle, they have come together for this battle. Um, and there are several biblical instances where the waters are parted. So you come in here and you say, you know what? Well, what parting this water? Look, it's not, it's not the first time the water's been parted. And, and it'll be the last, but it's not going to be the first. Um, if you go back and you see, first of all, in the Exodus, what happens? God parts the Red Sea. They walk across on dry ground, not in the mud, not in the muck, not in anything else, but they walk across on dry ground. Then you come in and you come in when, when uh, 40 years later, when they're about to cross over into the promised land, God stops the Jordan River and they walk across on dry land and they go over into the promised land and they take the promised land. So you come in there and you see that. Another instance of this um, is is historically when the, the Assyrians, they conquered the Babylonians and, or pardon me, the Assyrians conquered the Israelites and utterly destroyed them. The Babylonians come in, and they conquer the Assyrians, and utterly destroy them. And the Babylonians carry those of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin into Babylon, into exile. And they're in exile for 70 years. And then, all of a sudden, about the 6th century BC, about 537 BC, a guy named Cyrus, about 539 BC, excuse me, Um, comes in, and Cyrus, he comes in and he conquers the Babylonians. Cyrus, the king of the Medes and the Persians. He comes in and he conquers them, and then he allows the Jewish people to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. Well, you know how Cyrus did that? He diverted the Euphrates River. I can't cross the river? I'll divert it to where it's low enough that I can. So, Doing this to the Euphrates River, it's, it's not unheard of. It's big, it's bad, but it can be conquered. And and this is what God is saying. You know what? The, the things around you, they're big, they're bad, but they will be conquered. So the unholy trinity of the beast is now assembling. As you come in, you, you've got these three. You've got the mouth of the beast, the mouth of the false prophet, um, In the mouth of the dragon, the false trinity, they come out with three false demonic spirits, and they're coming out, and they are assembling all of these earth dwellers, the armies of the earth dwellers, for the great day of God the Almighty. for the day of the Lord. The thing that you read of in all the scripture coming up, the day of the Lord is coming down, and it's pouring in to this one big battle. So the stage is set for the final battle. So this is what's happening as we come in with the sixth bowl and, and he's saying, you better be ready. Be prepared. You don't want to be caught naked and ashamed at this time. And in other words, he's saying, stay awake and, and stay faithful. And, and then the final thing is the seventh angel. In verse 17 says, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of hail because the plague was so severe. So this is, this is a serious thing that is happening here. You've got this, this, um, this, this final fight that takes place in Daniel 12, 1 and 2. We see this from Daniel, and, he's, and this was during the Babylonian exile, by the way, that's when Daniel was, when Nebuchadnezzar carried them off. He's one of the, one of the Hebrews who's carried off into Babylon. It says, at that time, "...shall rise Michael, the great prince who is charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake." some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So he's speaking about the end. So the amazing thing about this battle that, that we're going to see, and we're going to see it in chapter 19 blown out. We've got this, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. So we've got all this going on, and this is where it's landing. This is what we're looking at today, and it's going to be kind of shown in a little bit bigger view as we come in in the next three chapters. But um the thing is, is that all of the evil of the spiritual underworld is unleashed to make war on the saints. Every single ounce of evil in all of the known universe is unleashed to make war on the people of God. They surround the saints, and then they're slain by the sword of Jesus Amazing, isn't it? I mean, that is absolutely amazing. They surround the saints, and then it says that they are slain by the sword of Jesus' mouth. That's what we see in in chapter 19. So as as we come in here, and, and we begin to look and see that Jesus spoke creation into existence. As we come in and, and we look at the power of the mouth of Jesus, of the sword of his mouth. Look, all Jesus did was speak and it was done. This battle, when we talk about the battle of Armageddon, you talk about all the armies of the world gathering together and you talk about all the armies of God's people coming together and you talk about this big standoff and everything that's about to happen. You know what? The battle was over with before, everybody, before anybody plucked a bowstring. Before anybody pulls the trigger, before anybody fires a shot, before anything ever happens, here's what Jesus tells us. This is where it all lands. This is the promise. This is why it's a hope. This is why when John is on the island of Patmos, and he is in there wondering as he's been a prisoner there, and he has been persecuted for his faith, and he has watched his friends die, and he has watched Christian people be persecuted, and he sees churches, and he sees people and women and children, that he wonders what will happen to them, what will their life be like how much will they have to suffer for the name of Jesus what will go on as they're looking there Jesus says I'm going to pull back the curtain for you John and I want you to see that I am on the throne I have always been on the throne I will never leave the throne and I am in control and I will judge evil I will punish the wicked So that's the promise. That's what's happening. That's what's coming down here. And you know what he does it with? He does it with the sword of his mouth, with his word. His word. Let's talk about the word of God for a minute. Let's talk about what the word of God is, what the word of God means. The word of God is what was spoke to bring the world into creation. You ever hear about the Big Bang? Baby, I'll tell you there was a Big Bang. It was the mouth of God. Can you imagine? Look at the power, just the power of our son. And it's not the most powerful star out there. The power of our son was spoken to being by our God. And and you can come in, you know, in in science, they'll say, well, the big bang, because we can't really explain how it all happened. But all of a sudden, there wasn't anything. And then boom, it was. No kidding. Genesis 1 and 2 tells us that. It doesn't explain all the details of it and everything. But what it says is this. God spoke. And it happened. Can you imagine the power in that voice? Can you imagine the power of the sword of his mouth? That's what happens at the Battle of Armageddon. You could have billions of people gathered there, billions. And Jesus wins the battle with the sword of his mouth before it ever starts. That's the promise right there. He spoke creation into being. He spoke and calmed the sea. Do you know what that is? Do you know what that look? Have you been on the sea when it's rough? I'm not talking about Cook Inlet rough. I'm talking about North Pacific rough. I went from Homer to Dutch Harbor at five knots one year. We got into some stuff. We had waves busting 50 feet. I'm telling you, it is ugly, it is not fun, and it will get your attention. That gray, dark water that goes from beautiful and serene, surrounded by mountains and all kinds of cool stuff to look at, to put on your life jacket, and nobody goes on deck except for Scott, because he has to sound the tanks to make sure we're not taking on water. That's a big deal, you know what? Jesus spoke and calmed the sea that's the power of the voice of God. Well you know you wondered what's going on in our world. Look, Jesus can speak and calm things. Jesus can calm the heart of the most conflicted person. Jesus can do that. That's the power of the voice of God. The power of the voice of God calling out to someone can change them forever. It can take the most broken life and make it whole again. That's the power of the voice of Jesus. That's the power of who he is. Jesus is powerful. He will speak and conquer Satan and his followers. And he's speaking to us today. He didn't just speak in Genesis 1. He didn't just speak 2,000 years ago when he calmed the sea and he was with the disciples on the boat and the waves were crashing around and they were thinking they wouldn't make it. He didn't just speak when 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 they threw Jonah into the water. He didn't just speak once he speaks all the time. He's speaking to us today. He's speaking to us today through His Word. His Word is powerful beyond our imagination. Here's what the Word of God says. It says in Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and active, is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, the Word of God is judging my thoughts. The Word of God is judging my intentions. The Word of God is judging my motivations. The Word of God is judging us as a church. The Word of God is judging who we are. The Word of God is judging our actions. The Word of God is coming in there and It's the same Word of God that we see in the Bible written down that was inspired by God, the breath of God, for all scripture is inspired by God. It's God breathed. It's the breath of God. It's coming out that, that, that the Word of God tells us it is coming in and speaking to us today and drawing us into Him and coming in to our lives to to help us to grow. So as we come in and we look at the Word of God and we look at this battle that's going to be won by the Word of God, by the breath of God, by the by the by the very voice of God. I want to ask you something: Are you sitting down regularly? and listening to the voice of God are you reading the word of God on a daily basis here let's just push it a little further did you take time this morning to gaze into the voice of God because I want to tell you something when I look into the voice of God the voice of God looks into me and sometimes it's not pretty That's the voice of God. Look, if you want to judge all the stuff going on in the world around us, the people around us and everything else, you know how you do it? It's through the voice of God. It's not It's not through our thoughts. It's through his thoughts. It's not through our ways. It's through his ways. That's why his justice. That's why his wrath is holy. That's why his wrath is pure. That's why his wrath is right. That's why his wrath is righteous. And And we need to be daily in the word of God. And you better, because he's not going to accept your wimpy excuses. And that's just it, folks. If you're not spending time in the Word of God, every excuse you got stinks. Here, how about this? Well, I just don't have time for the Word of God. I just don't have time. Anybody in here got 25 hours a day? No, we all got 24. We all got the same amount, right? We choose what we're going to do with it. Look, if you don't have time to spend in the Word of God, I'm going to tell you how to find it. I'm your friend, and I'm going to tell you a simple tool of time management. Tomorrow morning or this afternoon, you sit down every 15 minutes, write down just a brief synopsis of what you've done. You do that for about four days, and you're going to find out how much time you waste on Facebook. You're going to find out how much time you waste on Instagram. You're going to find out how much time you waste... Watching videos on YouTube, you're going to find out how much time you waste watching TV. You're going to find out how much time you waste doing nothing. You're going to find all kinds of dead time. And, and, and you go, well, I don't do any of those things. I promise you, even, even if not, you'll find 20 to 30 minutes a day that you can easily direct to the one who gives you life and breath and meaning and hope and a future and, and the things that come only from that God because he is... Raw power. This is who he is. This is what Jesus is saying. It's raw power that we're seeing in this scene, in this seventh bowl. It is the power of God poured out on man. It is the power of God poured out on us. It's the power of God for us to be the people that he's called us to be. When we come in, we say Bible knowledge is a core value in our church. It is. And there's a reason that it is. It's because that we believe that the word of God is living and active. We believe that the word of God will change us. We believe that the word of God gives us life and breath and meaning. We believe that the word of God directs us. We come in and we see that and we believe that the word of God is what we filter everything through and we understand and we see because that's who God is. That's how he's shown himself to us. He has revealed himself through his Holy Spirit, he's revealed himself through his word. He has revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ. He reveals himself here in the church. Church, people, we got to be in the word of God because we can't be the church of God without being on the word of God. We can't be in the church of God without being in prayer. And and, and the thing about it is, is God is calling out. He's saying, give me glory, give me glory, give me glory. And, and you may be in here today saying, you're scaring the snot out of me. Look, I'm just telling you the truth. And the truth is, is that God has very, very high standards for my life and yours. For everything, every area, every aspect, it all belongs to Him. And He is calling to you today and He's saying, look, you can live whatever you want to choose. But in the end, your choice will determine your destiny. That's fair, isn't it? That's fair. The God who made me, He's he's not holding me like a puppet on string. Tell me, you do this, you do that. He's saying, I'm going to give you a choice. I'm going to give you life. I will absorb the punishment for your crimes, or I will let you absorb. What's your choice? What's your choice today? What is it? So we are coming in here, and, and this is where it goes. So at the end, we see this. He says, It is done. It is done. And and Here's an interesting thing. Chapter 15 and chapter 16 are the the seven bowls. So chapter 15 starts off with the wrath of God, and it is finished. And chapter 16 ends with the wrath of God, and it is finished. It closes the whole thing in in saying that what Jesus said from the cross, he said it is finished. The last thing that Jesus said from the cross is going to be the last thing that he says on this earth. It's done. Welcome. Welcome into my eternal dwelling. Serve him. He's our only hope for security. Jesus is our only hope. He's your only hope. He is is the only hope that we have. Look, I'm just telling you, we, we, we have placed our hope in our culture on so many foolish, shaky things. We place our hope in our economic system. How's that going lately? Not real good. And we're still the wealthiest people on the planet. We, we could lose that in a heartbeat. Look, that could be gone tomorrow. It could be gone tomorrow. If your hope is in that and it's pulled out from under you, 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 you know why that bowl of wrath being poured out and taken away the economics? That's the first thing that God does. He says, look, this is what you want to depend on? Go ahead, depend on it. We depend on our 401k. We depend on our job. We depend on relationships. We depend on all kinds of stuff. We depend on our passport. But I want to tell you something. When it's all said and done, at the end of it all, this is what it looks like. The field is level. It is level." And it is only at the foot of the cross, it is only at Christ that we win. It's the only place. It's the only thing that's secure. Look, our security is in Christ. It's not in the stuff around us. This this, this is a beautiful church family. It's a beautiful group of people to be a part of. It is is a great place. If, If you're coming here, it's the first time you've been here, you go, man, this guy's crazy. I'm not always like this. Well, you know, but... But here's the deal. It's for a purpose. We have a place. God has something for you. And if you don't know him, if you've never given him glory, if you've never come to a point you say, you know what, God, you're right and I'm wrong. And I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. Look, I urge you to do that today. That is the voice of God. That's the way God works. He moves in you. It's not through the voice of man that's coming. You hear about all this stuff. Look, that's, that's from the word of God. That's the word of God convicting you and drawing you to him and saying, give me glory. Give me glory. Glory. That that could be the the biggest thing that ever happens in your life today. So I, I challenge you, if you've never done that, if you've never come to that place where you gave God glory and you said, you are God, you are right, I am wrong, you are holy, I am not, I am sinful, and I need you, and I'm asking you to change me from the inside out. Look, you know what he says? Bring it on. I died for you. I died for your sin. I died for everybody. There's nothing so bad that you can't come to me. And I will not only redeem you and forgive you, but I will restore you and make you whole. And I will use you. I will give you a front row seat in my kingdom. That's the promise of God. So that's what he's crying out to you. If you've never done that, you need to cry out to him today. Um, And and I want to encourage you. When we're done here, there are going to be people down here praying. Just come up and, and, and tap me and say, hey, I want to know Jesus. Or put it on that card in the back, whatever it is. But don't leave here today without making that move. Now, for us as a church, we got to be on our face before God. Look, we are in a battle with evil. We are in a battle right here. And our country will absolutely collapse and fall apart if we do not live our lives the way that God has made us to. The principles of God's word are the same principles that build strong churches, they build strong communities, they build strong nations. Because it's the truth of the Word of God, it's the way He's made us. And and so I want to encourage you, come down and pray at the end of the service. Come down and pray, and pray, and pray. Pray for our church, pray for God's direction for us, pray for God's direction in the families of our church. Look, that's that's where it all happens. That's where it happens in our families, that's where it happens in our church, that's where it's going to give you wisdom to raise your kids. All of that stuff, it's all coming straight from him. So we need to be on our faces before God, praying to him, asking him for direction. So as we come in and and we look at it all, coming into everything that's taken place here in our church and everything that we see, the thing that God wants to tell us in all of this, it's not that God's a big bad bully and, and you better watch out and be scared to death of him. No, what it's saying is give him glory because he made you. He is almighty and all powerful and he loves you so much that he came to redeem you. And he's saying, come to me, trust me, place all of your trust in me and watch me do things that are beyond you. Band's gonna come down and play in just a moment. I wanna invite you to come down and pray and let's just gather at the altar and pray and ask God to do what only God can do. Let's pray for Gennady, his family in in Ukraine who are being brutalized there and and people that he knows personally personally Anna, for her family who are, who are hosting family members from Ukraine and Moldova, um, as they come in, you know, that's as real as it gets. It doesn't get any more real than that. Let's pray for those people. Let's commit to pray for them and, and support them and let them know that we're a church family for them, to comfort and, and help and, and be there because here's what God promises. He will judge evil. Not in our time, but in his. Let's pray.